The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
we extinguish two candles on our altar, honoring two great losses to this community. The first is for Helen Ray Hutchinson, who passed away on Monday. Ray was a member of this community and then a bookkeeper on our staff from 1988 to 2000, before she left San Francisco to spend time in her native Mississippi Bayou. She was loved by many in this congregation and will be fondly remembered by her nickname, Mama Ray. Ray, you will be missed. And with a very heavy heart, we extinguish a candle this morning for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, lawyer, judge, Supreme Court justice, tireless advocate, faithful servant of the public good, who left this world on Friday evening, the eve of Rosh Hashanah. May her memory be a blessing. May we honor her work with our own. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. It's lovely to be together this Sunday morning. Welcome to those who might be joining us on live stream for the first time. It's wonderful to have you with us. I am Vanessa Southern. I'm the senior minister of this congregation, and I'm happy to be here today with Meg McGuire, who's our preacher this morning, our intern wearing the ministerial robes we have given her as she begins her year of internship with us. And also to happy to be with Dennis Adams, our worship associate this morning. I also want to give thanks to everybody who is making this morning possible. For our musicians, Vanessa, Brielle, Ben, Asher, for Jonathan Silk on AV, for Shu Liang and Eric Shackelford on both of our cameras this morning. We now have two, Joe Chapeau helping us out with chat, Thomas Brown keeping our building functioning and open, and Judy Payne for the beautiful flowers, and finally for Reiko Odelaine, who blew us away this morning with the prelude, the right way to start the day. Alex Dar, too, is someone we give thanks to. He's hosting our coffee hour, so we invite you to join us on that after service today. You can download the order of service. I encourage you to. It'll help you to follow along and let you know about some things in the congregation. Please sign up for our newsletter if you don't already get it. I want to tell you in advance about our offering this morning, but start with a brief story. When I was an intern at the First Church in Boston, my internship supervisor, Reese Williams, told about early in his ministry in the late 70s in Boston when the church he served burned almost completely to the ground. It happened in the night. It was an electrical mishap. But he stood there as the firemen were putting out the last of the smoky embers in the very early morning hours. And the Lutheran pastor from the nearby church came and stood with him having heard the news. And after a while of standing there together before he bid Reese goodbye, he handed Reese and the church a check for $1,000. 
to begin their rebuilding from the devastating fires. This week, St. Gregory's The Illuminator Armenian Church suffered a fire also. This one, because of arson, three separate fires set overnight in their beautiful historic community center. So our offering this morning will be for them and their rebuilding efforts, and I hope to carry over a check and hand it to them with all of our goodwill, our solidarity, and to carry forward that legacy of the Lutheran Church in Boston so many decades ago. I want to acknowledge, as Meg did, that Friday night was Rosh Hashanah, so we have begun the Jewish New Year. And so to our family and friends and members who are Jewish, those fed, raised in the Jewish tradition, Shana Tova, happy Rosh Hashanah. May it be a sweet year indeed. We need it. And so let's begin our worship lighting the candle that we have lit every week since we have begun in our shelter in place, this candle, which stands for all of you, not here with body, but here with us in spirit, until such a time as we can gather again together here. Welcome to worship. And let's begin our worship singing our first hymn of the morning. You'll notice the words, the music are in your order of service gathered here. It's hymn number 389 in your gray hymnal if you have one at home. join me now in the reading of our chalice lighting. You can find the words in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light the symbol of our faith as we gather together. Hello, I am Dennis Adams. If this is your first time watching, thanks for joining us. You can follow along in the order of service, which is available in the description of this video, and is emailed to everyone who receives our newsletter, which you can get by signing up through a link that is in our order of service and video description. The order of service also lists 
upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect, including our Zoom coffee hour, which takes place after the service. We hope you'll join in anything that interests you. I want to call your attention especially to a few things. This coming week is the final opportunity to sign up to take part in small group ministry. Small group ministry is an excellent way to deepen your connections within the congregation through discussion, exploration, and deep listening. Starting in October, we'll finalize the groups of eight or 10 people, which will meet twice a month over Zoom. There's information about how to sign up in the order of service. We hope you'll consider taking part. Wednesday morning vigils are back. We invite you to join fellow UUs and people of conscience from the larger community as we gather to witness and proclaim our values in front of the church, Wednesday mornings from 8 to 9.30. This week, the vigil will be focused on environmental and climate justice. If you are new to our community, we hope you'll consider attending our new UU series for newcomers and visitors. The two interactive sessions will offer an introduction to Unitarian Universalism and our congregation. The first is this coming Tuesday evening. You can find the registration link and more information in your order of service. There will be an important congregational meeting on Sunday, October 4th at 12.30 p.m., where we will vote on the search committee's enthusiastic recommendation to call Reverend Vanessa Rush Southern as the society's senior minister. All members are encouraged to attend. I believe that is all I wanted to call to your attention. Welcome again. I invite us to center ourselves now in our worship by singing our meditation on breathing. The words are in your order of service. You can listen to our song leader if this is the first time singing it, and then join in as we sing it through a few times together. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, It's time for our spoken covenant and sung doxology. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another.
recognizing that there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July of 2019, in honor of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. And we let its ringing stand symbolically also for all those adults who have lost their lives in these camps, those who remain in them, many separated from their families and now infected by COVID-19 or at much greater risk of infection. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This last week, 41,223 people died of COVID-19 globally. 6,084 in the United States alone. We hold in our hearts all of these losses and all who continue to risk their lives to provide essential services, those who suffer from job loss, whose lives are especially vulnerable to the disease, and those whose isolation and struggle through grief and loneliness gets harder as this pandemic continues. Finally, we ring our gong, holding all of the hard news of the last few weeks. Continued fires burning here and lives lost. Hurricane rains and damage back east. Ongoing reminders of the reality and evil of white supremacy culture. Acts of terror in all its forms. Some very, very close to home. Uncertainty in our upcoming elections, in our Supreme Court and its important rulings to come. The loss of very good people from this earth and all of our own personal struggles. For all that we are called to hold in our hearts. So may we keep all we have named and all those we have named in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
These days it can feel like we are tumbling from one heartbreak to the next, with scarcely enough time to hold one loss before another follows close on its heels. With one more loss now part of what can feel like a frantic scroll of bad news with uncertainty deafening. If grief swells up in you this morning, may you listen to it. May you know that it is not only okay, it is essential. As we prepare to enter into a time of shared silence, I invite you to do whatever you need to do to come a bit more into this moment exactly as it is and exactly as you are. You may want to bring your attention to what is literally supporting you right now. Perhaps it is the ground beneath your feet or the chair or couch you sit on, the back you rest against. Perhaps it is your breath, steady still. In this sacred silence, may we honor what emerges, what is already there. And may we listen together for the love at the core of it all.
spirit of life and love, mystery beyond all naming. As we gather this morning, may we remember, may we honor those who have gone before us, those whose struggle, whose courage, and whose persistence made the way, those on whose shoulders we rest. Entering into this new year in the Jewish calendar, may we remember that there is always room for renewal, for the world to be remade. May we breathe deeply and may we be gentle with ourselves and one another as we carry on toward the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. And so it is. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I have
was so beautiful. I forgot one very important special announcement, and that is to wish my mother a happy birthday. Hi, Mom. She'll be 88 tomorrow. So happy birthday, Ann Adams. It's a quiet, sunny morning in southeast Mexico in the summer of 1968. Dennis, wake up. Dennis, Scorpion, wake up. Dennis, I'm in a tent and on a month-long exploration of Mexico with a group of LRY, liberal religious youth, from the State College Pennsylvania Unitarian Church. I am 13 years old, and the voice urging me to wake up is that of our translator slash guide, Jesus. As my eyes flutter open there practically in my face, as my eyes flutter open there practically in my face as promised is a scorpion. A scorpion being held rather cavalierly with two sticks, and I freeze and let out a torrent of frankly very bad language, which it turns out was Jesus's torrent in intention all along to learn to swear in English and to scare the crap out of me. Perhaps I'd never let on that I had a scorpion phobia. Anyway, he had removed its poisonous stinger, but my groggy awareness didn't realize that fact. The Reverend Richard Weston was our driver and youth leader, and he showed us around the country in a month-long exploration which was nothing short of magical and miraculous. We visited the popular temples and ruins and museums and got a sense of the complexity and texture of the places too. Our intrepid band of travelers numbered 12, plus a German shepherd in a van. When in Mexico City we added Jesus, well, let's just say we became very close and learned much about sharing space and speech. In spite of my rude awakening at his hands, I had come to admire Jesus a lot his cheerfulness in general, and the obvious pride he took in showing us around his country, and we exchanged naughty words in a bilingual way without judgment. We were mostly young and very foolish and had many theories about life and spirit and where we fit into the fabric of the universe. Our largest shared concern was putting an end to the war in Vietnam. We were not only travelers but troubadours finding our voices. Our quest was to figure out what roles we'd play in the theater of our lives. We were so playful yet painfully mature at times. All in all, it was pure magic. My first time seeing the Pacific Ocean and the water was so warm. And oh my, I had the biggest, almost tragic crush on one of my traveling companions. I shan't embarrass her by saying her whole name, but Aviva was, and I understand, still is a very strong force of nature. In Melanie's song about Woodstock called Lay Down, she and Oakland's Edwin Hawkins singers sing, some came to sing, some came to pray, some came to chase the night away. Well, we were all that and a cross-cultural bag of chips. It was a trip during which I learned that each of us indeed have an interconnected web of love, peace, and shared knowledge, and that while we are each a force in our own right, as a group we become so much more than that with song and prayer and deep conversations about everything from love to the mysteries of the universe, we were so privileged to be in each other's company. The month went by exceedingly fast and soon it was our last night in Mexico before our return to Pennsylvania. Saying goodbye to Jesus was a sad exclamation point at the end of our long, strange trip. As Vanessa, Reverend Vanessa mentioned earlier, our offering this morning will go to support our neighbors at the St. Gregory Armenian Apostolic Church, who are rebuilding 
after an arson earlier this week. You can give online by pressing the donation button in the order of service or on our website. A link is also in the video description and in the chat. In the payment portal, please indicate if your gift is a special offering, a pledge payment, or a general donation. We thank you in advance for your generosity. Our reading this morning is by the Reverend Mark Morrison Reed, a selection in our hymnal entitled The Task of Religious Community. He writes, the central task of the religious community is to unveil the bonds that bind each to all. There is a connectedness, a relationship discovered amid the particulars of our own lives and the lives of others. Once felt, it inspires us to act for justice it is the church that assures us that we are not struggling for justice on our own, but as members of a larger community. The religious community is essential, for alone our vision is too narrow to see all that must be seen, and our strength is too limited to do all that must be done. Together, our vision widens, and our strength is renewed.
since we haven't all had the chance to be formally introduced, let me first just say how excited I am to learn and serve with you this coming year. We're gonna have to get a little bit creative about how we get to know one another. So I hope you'll feel welcome to reach out and get in touch. And I'm glad to have this opportunity to share a little bit about why I'm here in the larger sense. As you may know, I had the great fortune of being raised Unitarian Universalist in a large congregation in Columbus, Ohio. And I've been asked more than once throughout seminary to reflect on what Unitarian Universalism meant for me growing up. Often I talk about the feeling of standing beside my parents and my sister in the sanctuary week after week, singing gathered here or spirit of life. But the moment where something really clicked for me about what church was, was when I was about eight years old and the congregation was in the process of calling a new associate minister. The candidate, Reverend Wendy Fish, had visited our religious education classrooms during her candidating week and demonstrated herself clearly to us as someone committed to the congregation's young people, even more so as warm and fun and approachable. So I remember that Sunday afternoon when the congregation gathered for the vote to call Wendy as our new minister. I was in a classroom in the religious education wing with half a dozen other young people, ages maybe six to 13. And we'd set about plans to construct an elaborate blanket fort in one corner of the room. When someone wondered out loud what our parents and the rest of the congregation were up to, what were they meeting about that afternoon? When we realized together that such a significant event was occurring in that very moment on the other side of the building, plans began to form. With a flurry of construction paper and scissors and crayons, we crafted our own set of ballots scrawling on them with some dramatic performance of privacy and formality, six enthusiastic yeses. And then together we marched out of our classroom across the building and to the doors of the sanctuary, where after a collective breath in, we flung open the doors and stepped tentatively into the room. In my memory of it, the room fell silent as we did, and the gathered adults, some 400 of them, wheeled around in their chairs and watched, mouths agape as we processed down the aisle of the sanctuary in a single file line, oldest children leading the way, youngest trailing behind them like ducklings, construction paper ballots clasped in each of our hands. And when we reached the front of the room, we defiantly presented our, our ballots one at a time to the moderator who was presiding over the meeting. And then, having done what we'd come to do, we turned on our heels, strode back down the aisle, back to our classroom, and resumed construction of our blanket fort without much conversation. Reflecting on it years later with a dear friend who I grew up alongside in that congregation who was also there that Sunday. We were both slightly incredulous, almost appalled at that memory. 
Perhaps it is one of those stories where the fish you caught that summer grows a little bit bigger with each retelling. But the essence of what happened, confirmed since by our families, remains just as amazing to me. Especially given how shy we were at that age, it's hard to imagine bursting into a room of several hundred adults in the midst of a meeting under any other circumstances. And yet, even then, even before we could describe what it meant to be a Unitarian Universalist or to be part of a religious community, I know we felt part of that congregation. Part enough that something more was demanded of us than just passive participation. Part enough that we were pulled a bit out of ourselves. In some ways, my experience of that congregation as a young person is the purest experience of community that I've ever had. The experience stands in sharp contrast to the very earnest attempts at community building that I've been participant of since, whether they yielded disappointment or connections that hold strong still. I think this is because as a young Unitarian Universalist, I did absolutely nothing deliberate to make that community happen. And still I received it, gratefully. Perhaps community cannot be built through brute strength. Parker Palmer, a Quaker elder, author, and teacher, critiques the very notion of community building. For community, he argues, is not some goal we can achieve through our striving. It is a gift. A gift that much of the time is already with us. But so often it doesn't feel that way, right? Especially these days when we can't gather together as we did, when we cannot gather in one strong body as in our opening hymn, when we cannot rest in the bounty of shared experience like the one Dennis described, when even the experience of feeling the holy in the presence of two or three others, as our soloists beautifully sang in Spanish a few minutes ago, even that is complicated these days. Still, I'm not one to say that this time is so wholly different from any other, even if it is unprecedented. We know that so many of the problems we face now are exacerbated expressions of pre-existing conditions. A lack of paid sick leave, for example, on a national level at least, has already been hugely consequential for many. A lack of affordable health care, a failure to honor all workers as essential, a failure to fully honor black life, while maybe set in sharper relief, exacerbated by the layering of crises we're experiencing. These challenges aren't exactly new. Isolation and loneliness, though themselves reaching epidemic proportions, were with us before too. Faced with this reality, Palmer's framing of community could seem naive, out of touch with the realities of disconnection, the real challenge of community in this era. 
How does this sit with the idea that community is a gift already here, just waiting for us to receive it? But Parker rebuts. This gift is not necessarily readily accessible or even apparent. Receiving the gift is a capacity that requires ongoing cultivation. I would add a capacity that we must cultivate together. Strangely enough, I first learned this lesson not in a religious community, but in the rough and tumble world of organized labor in New York City. I now describe my work in labor organizing as a process of accompaniment, journeying alongside workers as they navigated the many barriers that can impede or frustrate the process of organizing a union. And contrary to what I believed when I began, the most significant of these barriers is not anti-union propaganda or lack of clarity about the process, complicated as it is. The primary barrier is fear. Whether that fear is of retaliation, losing a job, a livelihood, or the ability to support one's loved ones, or sometimes the more amorphous fears of losing social connection, or a sense of security, or routine. The common assumption embedded in so many of us is that it is safer, smarter, to go it alone. Moving past the barrier of fear then requires a different story. The first step was uncovering the connections that were already present. Organizers are trained to make web-like diagrams charting the relationships between people in a given workplace. I was surprised every time by the extent of the connections, even when they weren't apparent on the surface. The dishwasher's cousin had been roommates with the front desk agent's boyfriend. The bellman had gone to elementary school with the general manager. Those two cooks went to the same dentist. But even if there were no existing connections to be found, the task was the same. Akin to what Reverend Mark Morrison-Reed describes as uncovering the bonds that bind each to all. Digging up the dominant logic that we are discrete units who interact only occasionally with other discrete units. Overturning the idea that our security rests in ourselves alone. Reorienting toward a vision of interdependence, connection, and collective security. Reminding ourselves and each other that together we are a force more powerful than the sum of our parts. The process was slow going, tedious even. Usually though, there was an inflection point, a moment where the logic of self-sufficiency crumbled, often for many people at once. More often than not, it followed on the heels of some kind of disruption, heartbreak, or loss. And so it is for each of us, as Palmer writes, when I flourish, it is easy to maintain the illusion of separateness, easy to imagine that I alone am responsible for my good fortune. But when I fall, 
When times get tough, I see the secret that is hidden in plain sight. I need other people for comfort, encouragement, and support, and for criticism, challenge, and collaboration. The self-sufficiency that I feel in success is a mirage. I need community. And if I open my heart, I have it. For me, after ambling through my early 20s far away from religious community, taking for granted, frankly, the gifts that Unitarian Universalism had given me as a young person, it was heartbreak that brought me back to the community that was already there. When my family suffered the unimaginable loss of my younger sister, then 21 years old, our community showed up in ways I hadn't even imagined I could expect. In the intensity of the moment and in the long aftermath, I could feel with marked clarity that religious community can be more than the sum of our parts. There was something different about the deft way that our congregation was able to be there, to be present in the moment when our hearts cracked open. Perhaps by virtue of our shared commitments, there was a pre-existing closeness, even among strangers. Perhaps we were already a little closer to the core of human experience together. Perhaps we had some structure to begin to make meaning of the impossible. I'm not sure why, and I'm not sure it matters. I share this because I know that such experiences of loss inevitably make their way into each of our lives. And when we share in them, when we open our hearts rather than closing them off, is when we tap into the possibility of what we can be for one another and what we can be together. Just receiving the gift, just opening to our interrelatedness is itself a courageous countercultural act. We don't have to do anything more. But inevitably, from this place, we do. We are collectively in one such moment now with the layers of dis disruption, the accumulated losses, and now with so many of us reeling from the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on Friday with deep grief, fear, and even hopelessness about the future. May we honor these feelings in ourselves and each other for they are expressions of our love for the world, of our deep knowing of how deeply our futures are bound up together. And from this place, may we clarify our commitment, anchor in our interdependence, and steady our hands as we rise together, as I know that we can. Whether it is children and youth parading into a congregational meeting or a group of workers demanding dignity in their workplace, I am buoyed by what I know is possible when we let ourselves be more than the sum of our parts. When we, we will need to act from this place in the coming weeks and months. And I hope that this community can help sustain us through 
and be a place where we practice being what we need to be for each other as we live into the world we must create. I know that we don't know each other all that well yet. I don't know the stories, the connections, the triumphs and the failures that make up this community, though I'm eager to learn them. But even in the air of this mostly empty building, even in the Zoom meetings that now knit together the life of this community, I can feel the intangible connective tissue between and among you, rooted in history and shared commitment, in memory and in music, in the constellation of constellations of relationships that weave this community together. So for all of the ways that community already has deep roots in this place, for its continuous unfurling here and now, under new challenges and with new opportunities, and for all the ways that it may be further realized in the months and years to come. May we keep uncovering the connections between us, and may we find the courage to further open our hearts to them for our world and for each other. May it be so. I hope you'll join me now in singing our final hymn this morning, We Would Be One. You can find the words on page seven and eight of your order of service.
before we end today, I want to invite all of you to join us after service for Zoom coffee hour. You can find the link in your order of service, in the chat to the live stream, and in the video description. I hope you'll join us. And now, in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us, out from within us, be gracious unto us, and give us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Go in peace.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.